Hey, pluckies. I hope you're having a great week. Can I just take a minute to say I'm so excited. I'm so happy to be back here with y'all. So a few months ago, I read an article on theschooloflife.com. I started following them on Instagram. They're the School of Life London. I have no idea how I started following them, where I heard from about them. But I generally enjoy their content. I think that they write about interesting things, interesting nuanced perspectives. And so I was scrolling the gram and the article that they were highlighting had a subject or rather a title that had something to do with the downsides or the hard parts or the problem of being a beautiful person. And it caught me by surprise, I think, because it made me realize when I read the headline, I was like, oh yeah, I don't think I've ever meaningfully thought about the specific challenges or hardship that particularly beautiful people face. And so I clicked on the article and I read it. And as I suspected, it was a thoughtful, nuanced, interesting perspective about a subject that I haven't really thought that much about, to be honest. And I did have to agree with the thesis of the article that part of it was that, you know, we live in a culture that is so obsessed with beauty and with physical perfection that when we meet people that are particularly beautiful, there is kind of this assumption that it's like, well, your life can't be that bad, right? Because you're beautiful. And I think we all know that intellectually that's not true. But I do think that we as like a culture and society can really diminish um, the challenges and the hardships of this certain people group, if you will, um, because of how much we idolize what they have. And our next guest, I think, is a really interesting example of this because not only is she, yes, physically very beautiful, she's actually made a career out of her looks as a model. And where we end up camping out a lot in this interview is really kind of talking about the challenges, the struggle, the really unique hardships that she faced throughout her life being a really beautiful person. She went on to be an entrepreneur and a co-founder of a company called The Healing Company. She is building and boosting wellness brands, including the Deepak Chopra Foundation. But before becoming a health and wellness expert in nutrition, Annabelle started her career as a model, which afforded her some incredible opportunity and also some really unique challenges that she is generous enough to share with us. And she's got this twisty, turny path towards entrepreneurship. Today, she's the co-founder and the director of The Healing Company. She has partnered up with the Deepak Chopra Foundation to build a company of storytellers and entrepreneurs and healers and humans that are united by a common vision to bring integrated healing to the world. I'm excited for you to hear about Annabelle's story and specifically about how it was kind of her journey and process of dealing with her own things and being brave and courageous and healing herself that led her to this mission to expand healing and wellness to others. Without further ado, our guest this week, Annabelle Ullman. Annabelle, thank you so much for being here on the show. I'm so excited to hear your story and to get to know you a little bit more. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about, take us a, as far back as you're willing to go in the Annabelle story. Tell us just a little bit about where did you grow up? What was your family of origin like? Uh, take us back to those, to, to the earliest days. 
Oh, wow. So the earliest days, um, I would kind of summarize my childhood that in, in that way that I would say I was extremely fortunate. Um, I had a very happy childhood. Um, I had, I have two older sisters um, who absolutely, I love and adore, um, who were by my side all the time, who really supported me. Um, and parents who are extremely loving and caring um, and who really um, allowed me to do everything in my life that I always wanted to. And so I, I really had a really happy childhood. I was uh, in Berlin for all of my childhood. I never moved. I didn't even move uh, apartments. So I was all my life. Wow. I was 18. I was in the same apartment, same street, same address, um, same neighborhood, which was really mm -hmm. great. Um, I never moved to school. So I was in school uh, all the way through in the same school, uh, surrounded by the same friends. So I would say that was a very like, like comforting um, mm. surrounding and, and, and a childhood that was that I was having. Um, but when I was 15, I, I always, always had the sense of being like really independent. I don't know where that was coming from because I had a really supporting dad. Um, who would support us with everything and, and, and made everything possible that we wanted to do in our lives. But really early on, I felt I want to be independent and I, I don't want to be like sitting on the pockets of my parents. So whenever I want to do something in life, I want to be able to finance it myself. And so really early on when I was 15, um, I joined a modeling agency um, that I'm still at now uh, i don't work anymore as a model really but they still have me in their portfolio um and the agent really turned one of my closest friends so um i did that because i felt like oh my god that's so cool like i can do jobs and then i can go and have lunch uh, with my friends uh, and i don't even have to ask my my, my parents for a cent mm. and so i had like already this feeling of like oh, this is so cool like this independence is such mm. a great feeling and um, and so and what was your, just curious, what was your parents' perspective, you know, at 15 to kind of go into this industry? Did they, were they super supportive? Did they have concerns? What was that? What did that look like? Yeah. So my mother, um, she was, when she was young, she was living in North of Germany um, and she moved to Berlin and she actually started modeling to finance her uh, oh, studies. Okay. So my mom was always really supported and uh, my dad actually, he never even said anything. <laughs> he was like, you know, you and your mom do this, deal with this, um, whatever you want to do. Like, it's fine. The only hmm. really thing that was important to them is that my grades in school wouldn't, um, uh, decrease or get worse because of that because there were yeah. days in school that I missed because I took a modeling job and the, the and we actually spoke really openly with our school as well about with my school as well about it so um they were fine as long as I wouldn't like my grades won't suffer um, okay. and so I was even like doing this job as a model I was also extremely like focused on getting good grades in school like I would learn so hard, so much. I would sometimes learn until like 4 a.m. in the morning, go to bed and wake up at seven to go to school. Like I was a really um, disciplined uh, kid in school. Um, and yeah, so the whole modeling happened was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, and then I finished high school and everyone of my friends was like, oh, I'm going to study this. I'm going to go here. And 
um, being the youngest of three children, I, I looked at my siblings and both of them went right to university after school and actually got to a point in their life where they were so unhappy because they were like, why did I go to university? Like, why did I even study this if I don't even want to do this in my life, in my career? And I started to see, okay, they just went to university because that's what was expected of them. And what was like the social pressure, but that is like the norm of how you have to live your life. You go to school, you go to university, you work. And so then I started to like develop this feeling of like, oh, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my own way. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was very stubborn and I was like, anyone can tell me that I'm wrong, but I'll do it exactly that way. And so I went, I finished school. My friends all went to university and I sat there and I was like, actually, the only thing that I'm really passionate about is traveling. And I only want to travel the world. I want to see the world. I want to get to know new people. I want to learn about new cultures, new religions. And I was so passionate about that. And, and luckily enough, my dad, he always organized around Christmas and New Year's Eve when I was young, uh, we were young, um, this like two week trip where mm. we would go to a new place that we all haven't been to. Um, we would do like a full week of like culture and, hmm. and, and going into like, um, through the cities, doing tours, learning about like the architecture and the history and all of that. And then last week we, we would do it the holiday. So the beach holiday, hmm. we would go somewhere and then relax. But the first week was like quite intense learning about that place. And so that was something, um, that I had that I was loving and I really appreciated that my dad um so cool. showed that to us when I was we were really young I even remember when I was like I think I was 10 or even younger nine or ten and we all went to Cuba and oh, wow. my entire life I had in my mind this like how I was walking down the streets and I you would see like the poverty in that city and Havana was it was in Havana and the poverty in that city and the people were still on the streets dancing, enjoying life, laughing, singing. And as an eight, like as a 10 year old, I was walking through that and I was like, it struck me so much that it was something that, that I took long in my life for a very long time. And two years ago, I finally made it back to Havana because I had like this feeling inside of me. I always wanted to go back because this experience like struck me so much that I was Mm. like, they have nothing. They literally have nothing. And they are so happy and so grateful for existing. Um, you know, it's so interesting, and not to derail us into talking about Cuba, but Cuba, I, I had the opportunity to go as well in adulthood, and I'm still grappling with it because of the dichotomy of, like, on the one hand, the Cubans that are there, my experience was really similar to you, that it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a deep sense of joy and celebration in life, and yet people are literally risking their lives to escape. Like there is this sense of like, I would rat, like the folks that have decided to go, you know, we've got good friends here in Portland who um, both came to America from Cuba. And I mean, it's wild. Like my friend, I mean, my friend literally would wake up, sneak out in the middle of the night and would steal, um, take a plank from a fence and over the course of like three years, he built a boat 
in the middle of the night by just like squirreling away, you know, materials, built a boat, and then him and this other guy kind of led, you know, I'm guessing they put probably got, I don't know, I don't know how many people, 15 people in it. I mean, he's literally talking about how like sharks were like attacking him and he's fighting off sharks and trying to get him and 15 other people to the United States. And it's just like this very interesting dichotomy that it's like, yeah, I guess I guess that doesn't escape me too that it's like there are there are parts of the conditions that people are like also willing to say I would literally risk everything and die to get out of here. It's just so complex. It's so complex yeah, exactly. and so nuanced. And it was complex and nuanced for me as a how old was I? 26-year-old. Like I can't imagine being an 8 or 9-year-old and having that experience and like were those the types of conversations that your family was like engaging in in that like first week of like culture learning and like I mean are you yeah what did that look like as like an eight or nine year old no totally I think that's something my parents always did really well like they didn't want to shock us but they wanted to show yeah. us that that the world is not it's not all the same and not everyone is as fortunate as we are and so mm. very early on I had the sense of like wow, I'm actually living a life that not, that is not normal. Um, mm. and I think that was something that teached me a lot, mm. really a lot, a lot. Um, and it was obviously with so many like impressions on me, like emotionally, like the way things I saw, I, I heard. And I, I think it was just looking back, it was a really important and powerful experience mm. And it wasn't the first, it was like the first of many, many more that my dad did with us. Yeah. Um, but that really brought me to that point that after school, I was like, this is what I'm passionate about. Yeah. Like, I want to yeah. see, I want to be like aware of the world. Mm -hmm. I want to go out there. I want to see everything that I can see and learn and speak with all the people out there and like hear their stories. Um, and that is for me, like, something so that I'm so passionate about is um, hearing other people's stories. And, mm. and so after school, that's, that's what I did. And so I was like, okay, how can I travel the world uh, and be independent and finance it all for myself and never have to ask my parents to buy me a flight to go from A to B. And so I called my agencies and I was like, um, okay, I want to take this like even more serious now. Um, mm. I want to travel the world. Like, what can we do? And mm. shortly after, um, I got a, another agency to sign me in Australia. And so right mm. after school, I, a couple of months later, like three months after my high school, I, uh, I moved to Australia. Wow. But, um, signing with that agency, they told me that, in order to be really successful, I would need to lose weight. Mm. And because I was so, okay, I was high school, I had high school, like I had every evening studying for my exams. I had like a bar of chocolate. I didn't even mm -hmm. think about diet for a single mm. second. Nutrition mm. was something that I wasn't really, like growing up, my mom would always make like uh, ready to serve meals. like. You know, like these packages where you would just add milk and then you would have like meals. Like my mom, I love her and I adore her, but she was like <laughs> the worst cook in the world. So we never, <laughs> we never really had proper uh, like nutritious food. We really didn't. And so it wasn't a thing as well. Like I never really thought about it. And I didn't even think that it was bad. 
Like I was just yeah. added because that was like what I was brought up with. Um, yeah. And so suddenly I was like, oh damn, I have to start thinking about like nutrition. How am I going to lose weight? Um, I have three months until I'm in Australia. What am I going to do? And I like completely indulged into books and websites and I Googled and I was like, okay, how to do this? And every, everywhere was like calorie deficit, calorie deficit. And so I started to become extremely obsessed overnight with calorie deficit, wow. eating on a calorie deficit. And my relationship to food, even though I'm like the biggest foodie and I'm now again, but at that time, I completely, my relationship to food um, was really bad. And I would wake up in the mornings and I would drink a bottle of sparkling water to kind of numb my appetite. Wow. And then I was really hungry. So the sparkling water would like fill my body, my, my stomach. And then I would go into the kitchen and I would literally um, weigh out a hundred grams of yogurt with a hundred grams of blueberries and two walnuts. And that's it. That was my breakfast. And so the same I did for lunch. Wow. My meal, my last meal was always, I could never eat past eight. I was really strict that I would eat ev exactly every five hours and I, I would get so nervous or hmm. my mood would switch insanely if I wasn't able to like keep up with my schedule. And so I got really obsessed with like this whole, okay, how do we eat? When to eat? What hmm. am I allowed to eat? And I was like, I think I took in 800, like my, my I, I literally counted my calories and I took in like 800 calories a day. Wow. Uh, okay. So I'm not, excuse me if I sound ignorant in this because yeah. I'm not an expert, but that means you, I mean, that's anorexia, right? At the point that you're depriving your body so much as that, were you like, but you're probably not thinking this is anorexia. I have an eating no. disorder at this point. No. You're like, I'm doing, somebody told me and that's, man, that's the thing about modeling where actually just this past week, I hang out every Wednesday night. I'm with my close girlfriends and it's really just a time for like diving in to life and like what's going on and what are you struggling with and what are you joyful about? And one of the women in our group brought up, we're, we're all in a season of having babies and we've got kids and babies and pregnants and toddlers. And, <laughs> and she just was like, you know, I'm not feeling great about my body. Like, how's everybody else doing? I'm just, you know, noticing that whatever. And my response was literally I had had a moment like the week before where it's like I've had three kids I'm a like kind of petite person that when I get pregnant gets huge you know so it's like my stomach it's like stretched out it's not flat and I was in the bathroom and I remember looking at my stomach and it's just not flat it's not pretty it's like no one would ever pay me to advertise something but I remember having the thought I literally was like you know what no good thing in my life ever came to me because I had a flat stomach. Like no one loves me because I have a flat stomach. Exactly. My vocation has nothing to do with having a flat stomach. My joy, like, and it was really this moment of kind of release of like that never, that was never a really important thing. And so now you don't have it. And like, you know, and I don't always have moments where like, I'm just like, well, it is what it is. But in this moment I did. And I'm just comparing that and contrasting that to your experience. That it's yeah. like, no, actually, your body and the perfection of your body was closely related to yeah. your literally your income, your passion of getting to travel the world was like very closely linked to what totally. do I look like and how much do I weigh? And that is like, 
how do you do that well? Like that yeah. feels like an impossible, and I'm sure it's not. I'm sure there's lots of people that are healthy in it and have figured it out. But man, for an 18-year-old to somehow navigate that in a healthy way, that just feels like a lot to ask yeah. because that's that's tying up a lot of things. Like your whole world relied on how much you weighed. Yeah, totally. And you know what? The worst thing about it was is being in Australia and, and getting a lot of jobs at the beginning. Like I was booked six days, seven days a week. Like I was working wow. like a maniac. And then working like this for like nine to 10 hours every day with no like food and nutritious income in like my body was like exhausting, exhausting. Mm, yeah. But they got to a point where I was like, that's the, that, that's really one of the points where I broke is mm. when I put all this work in, all this discipline, like I deprived myself from food, which I love. I was in such a calorie deficit. And my agency told me, Bella, we're so sorry, but you got so tiny that now we can't book you for jobs anymore. And I was standing oh. there and I was like, oh my God, this cannot be true. And I literally, I burst it out in tears. And that was like the first time in my life where I was like, wow, really? Like everything that mm. I've done so far and now like you're telling me this and I have suffered so much until this point. And now you're telling me I did too much. It's like, you know what? It was like this wow. point where I was like, I didn't, had no idea where to go anymore with myself. I was like, wow. I was really, I lost connection to me completely. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that was really like, that was a tough moment. Um, and friends and family would call me and I was on the other side of the world. I was like isolating myself a lot. Um, I was really lonely because I wouldn't go out because I couldn't have food. And I didn't want anyone to like show them that I was the way I was. Australia was really expensive. So I would go into a supermarket and I was literally would leave the supermarket without buying anything because everything was too expensive. So I would live off like a, like a salad head. Um, and like, I would buy like maybe a bag of carrots and beetroots and I would like shave them on the salad and I would have that like every day that was my meal um, because that would last for quite a bit um, and it would save me a lot of money. And so my friends... And so my overnight, best... you lost your income. You lost your identity. You lost this path to, you know, to traveling into your passion that you thought would enable, you know, a life of adventure and culture. And you're alone in another country. Yeah. That is yeah. so painful. Yeah. It was like my sister and my, my best friends, they started calling me and they were like, but like, you really don't look healthy. And then at that point, I like, I built this wall around me, this like protection wall that I was like, I am totally fine. Like you, you don't see me in person. You only see images. You don't know how I look. Don't tell me I'm too tiny because I'm not like, I'm super healthy. I'm eating, I'm working. I'm super happy. Like I would always tell them that I was perfectly fine and don't even tell me I'm not. And I would get really angry about it and, and frustrated. But it wasn't even that bad that like even on Easter, my roommate would give me like a little chocolate bunny and it was in the fridge all the time I was living in Australia. I never even touched it once wow. because I wouldn't eat any sugar. And I remember that my mom came to visit me and um, 
I think I finally, I, I looked at this rabbit and I was like, this chocolate rabbit, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to have it today. And I, I was biting into it and I was swallowing it. And I was so mad with myself having this piece of chocolate that I literally started crying. It was like, now, now thinking back, I'm like, wow, I was so sensitive. And I was thinking that that was right because even looking into the mirror, and that's one thing that you just said, nothing ever made me a happy person being in that shape. Like I have never been as joyful and happy as, and grounded as I am today. And back then I was so tiny. I was getting all these jobs. I was getting like, but I still looked in the mirror every single day. And I looked at my stomach and I'm like, they're so fat. And now looking back at images, I'm like, where did I even see fat? Like where that was skin. That was literally skin coming off my bones. And I was thinking back then it was fat. So, you know, you're never at this point where you're happy with yourself. If you're not really happy internally, you can be as tiny as you want to be. You can be like, you can have a belly. If you're not happy, like inside out, you'll never be happy with your shape ever. Mm. And that literally, that's something I learned really the hard way is that I never felt like I was in good shape. Never. And so what was the moment for you? It sounds like you were experiencing a lot of denial. Uh, You know, your friends and family are saying they're concerned for you. And you're like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm great. What was the moment in which you personally were like, I'm not okay? And something like, were you forced into that realization? Did you come to it on your own? Tell us about kind of the moment where things started to shift for you. Yeah, so um, when my agency told me that I was too tiny to now get jobs or that some, it wasn't like I wouldn't get any jobs, but like a lot of the clients that I had before were not willing to shoot me anymore. I still got jobs. Like I got enough jobs to be able to like finance myself and, and, and live in Australia. But a lot of the clients that I had previously wouldn't shoot with me anymore. And at that point, I was like, wow, okay. I, everything that I've done so far was like useless. So mm. why don't I just like figure out my life again? Um, mm. And that is like, I had a lot of time between like castings on airplanes, on air, at airports. So it's like, I kind of want to start using this time. And so mm. that's when I found um, IAN, the Institute of Integrated Nutrition and their certification as a nutritionist. And um, I was like, I called my parents and I was like, what do you think about this? Do you think this is a cool thing I should do? And uh, I had a friend in Australia. I was like, what do you think about this? Do you think I should do this? And everyone was like, really supportive. I was like, yeah, but you have nothing to lose. Like, it's an online course. Mm. Do it. Um, and so when I was in Australia, I started doing it. And um, that is really when I learned about, like, okay, what does nutrition actually mean? And what does the healthy lifestyle actually mean? Like, how do you um, identify a healthy lifestyle? And... I started learning about like not only about the primary foods and sec- like about primary foods and secondary foods, so about the food that you take in, and also about like who you surround yourself with, who are the people, your work life, um, your environment, and how much mm. that impacts your health as well. Mm. And so I went through this phase. I got certified as a nutritionist. Um, I really loved it. I learned a lot about like nutrition and the importance of nutrition and how important it is for every function in our body because the nutrients are little helpers for all the enzymes that are important for all the biochemical processes in our body 
And so I learned all of these things and I was like, wow, okay, this is like nutrition is so much more than just like the way you look. It's like mm. everything inside of you, every system mm. inside of you needs these micro and macronutrients to function properly. And when I was so thin as well, I lost my period actually. So yeah. I was always thinking like, oh, I'm just not getting my period anymore. And I didn't even think further than that, that my body wow. actually shut down because wow. it didn't have enough nutrients in my body for in order to, to have my periods and in order to yeah. potentially have a child. And so yeah. my body, my body said, no, you're not even able to like <laughs> take care of yourself. Sustain yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like mother's nature way of saying like, no, you can't yeah, add exactly. more to this. Yeah. But I didn't even question it. I was like, oh, great, wow. I'm not getting my period anymore. I love it. Like, <laughs> um, And then I was like starting to learn. I'm like, oh, my God, my body literally just shut off. Um, wow. Shut off. for, and, 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 and it's trying to tell me something. And so I got more and more into it. Um, I then moved to L.A. where my sister was actually. And she was working in film production. And um, I was assigned with an agency there to work there. And they were very supportive of like more a woman's shape. Like uh, in LA, it's more like, oh, you have to look like a proper woman. It's not about like this, these tiny, tiny like little kids. <laughs> like I was at that point. And my sister there, she was very worried about me. And she's also one of my biggest supporters in life. She's always been, she's like my best friend. And, and she like kind of, she did it in a very intelligent way. So what she did, mm. she, she like, she was like, Bella, come and join me for um for my workout. Uh, I have like this really fun trainer. He's so fun. Like, let's do it. And I was like, oh, because I didn't work out until that point because I didn't have the energy to. Like yeah, for me, working yeah. out was like so far away. She took me there and I slowly started to like do some uh, exercise with her there. And doing the exercise, I actually started to gain appetite again. I started to become hungry. And so like that, that slowly like started to result that I would start eating more and then she would take me to friends and they were so sweet and nice and they would like put like this big plate in front of me and like I don't know they were like showing me LA and I, I didn't want to be impolite so I started I slowly started eating but then mm. with working out it felt like oh I'm actually it's actually okay to eat more if you work out mm. and so then I got like this new take which was also a little mental issue that I had at that point is that I felt like <laughs> only if I worked out, I was allowed to eat. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that I'm still like really fighting with today mm -hmm. is yeah. that I always feel like, you know, I'm like, I can only eat uh, a proper meal if I worked out in the morning and that's, I'm getting yeah. out of it. I'm slowly getting out of it, but like, um, it's still something that I deal with. Yeah. And I started to become like really aware of like yoga and I went to this like hot yoga class in LA and I started loving yoga. I was like, wow, yoga was like starting to become my feel-good medicine. Mm. And um, that was like this, this moment during the day where I was really able to like, my mind would shut off. I was so focused on myself, on my body, on like my breath, on movement. And I started to feel myself again. And that is, I think, something that I was so disconnected to myself and to my body um, then yoga really brought me back into it, um, mm. back into my body, feeling like my, like just feeling myself. It's just, I can't really explain it, but it like, it just brought back this connection between my, yeah. 
my physical body and my mind and, 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 and everything inside of me, my soul. And um, so yoga for me was like really my favorite medicine. And then again, coming into this world and like, oh, I want to travel again. Um, and India was always on my bucket list. So I was like, okay, how can I go to India but be productive? So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to do my yoga teacher training there. And then I went to India. I got certified as a nutritionist there. And in India, really, I would say, like, my life changed because mm. India taught me so much about myself um, and my discipline in life and how, how disciplined I actually was in so many aspects. First mm. with school, with my grades, then losing weight, which was, like, a bad yeah. discipline, but it was a discipline. Yeah. yeah then getting certified as a nutritionist, living in Australia. So I was always really behind my goals and my mission and vision on life. I was really like mm -hmm. stubborn. If I wanted to achieve something, I did. And in India, I was sitting there and I was like, I went through so much and I always thought it was okay, but it wasn't okay. And like, mm. I started to feel that even though I told myself the entire time that I was really happy because I got to live the life that I wanted, I was traveling and I was being independent. I was like, I have that now, but I'm actually really unhappy. And if I'm honest to myself, I'm really unhappy because like this whole competition thing about modeling, that's just not me. I couldn't deal with like being competing with other women. I never wanted to compete with anyone. I did it because I wanted to travel. And so like this whole competition and constantly being in castings and constantly being told you're not good enough because your hair is not long enough, your skin is not good enough, you're not in the best shape, you're not tall enough, like all of these things, you're constantly told you're not good enough. And even though I thought it wouldn't bother me, it really did bother me. Mm. And in India, I realized that. And um, after being there for a month and waking up every morning at 6 a.m., doing my meditation and breath work, having like six hours of yoga training every day, eating healthy, being solo, thinking a lot. Um, I sat down and I wrote an email to my agent, my mother agent at that point, and was like, I'm so sorry. Um, and I'm so grateful for all the things you've done for me and I'm, I'm mm. for all the support that you've been giving me. But um, I am, I have decided that this is not who I want to be in the future. And I will not model anymore. And I'm going to stop. And it was so hard for me because I was like, oh, they're wow. so upset with me. And I was like, what am I going to yeah. do with my life? Like, this was my life. And I was like, yeah. I'm actually telling my future, like myself right now that I'm stopping what has I thought was fulfilling me for so long. Mm. And I'm like opening up to this future where I have no idea what's going to happen. Woo! And that, and, and you did it. You took the leap I and that. made that decision before you saw line of sight into yeah. what's next, which is really, really scary yeah, to kind of cut ties before you know where you're yeah. going to land. Yeah. And that's why I was always like still holding this like little string to my agency. And I was like, maybe like, yeah. I don't know where to go. I'm just going to go back to modeling. Like totally. I always told myself, oh, I'm just going to go back if everything goes wrong. But it was so yeah. wrong because I was not happy. Like, why would I do that? Um, but I really, that was for me, like, 
yeah, it was it was a scary point in my life, but it was like the most fulfilling part because I was sitting there and I knew I I took the right I made the right decision. I knew it. And it felt so right. I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. But I knew it was the right decision. <laughs> and um getting I was I was being introduced to to cannabis because I was really suffering from uh, chronic migraines actually. Mm. At that point as well. Um and so I went back to Germany. Um, I met two other people that really wanted to get into it. And so we started our own um, medicinal cannabis company. And we got a distribution license. We got a narcotics license. It was really hard in the industry in, in Germany to really like step into it. But it was so incredible to see how people reacted to it because there were so many people in need of it and no one had access to it and being in being in india as well i learned so much about like ayurvedic medicine plant-based medications mm. and then working in the cannabis industry i was like i was sitting there and i was like okay i am literally dependent on on, on pharmaceutical drugs i was i wouldn't leave my house without like my my migration um medication and um, cannabis or CBD really helped me to like mm. slowly reduce this medication and get my migraines under control. And wow. I was so fascinated by it. And I was like, okay, being in India and learning so much about like how they treat their illnesses, which was mostly based on plant medications. Yeah. Now treating myself with CBD and getting my migraines under control I was like, there has to be more out there. Like nature has mm. given us everything we need. Mm. And I want to know more. And I really, mm. I, I learned so much about like Ayurvedic medicine. I went into looking into traditional Chinese medicine, like all these mushrooms that got really popular at that point. Um, Reishi, Cordyceps, Ashwagandha. And I was like, wow. And I was so like fascinated and that I knew at that point that's what I want to do in my life. Um, and working for the cannabis company, though, my life switched from being like this completely free person traveling the world to sitting mm. in an office every day yeah. uh, for hours and hours. And oh my God, I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. And everyone told me, Bella, if you want to be successful in your life, you have to sit here. You have to do, you have to be the first one to come to the office. You have to be the last one to go. You have to work 30 to 15 hours a day. Like if you want to be successful, you better put this uh, effort in. And mm. I was like, whoa, this is not who I am. That's also not who I am. Like I don't want to, yeah. I'm, I'm like this free spirit. I don't want to sit in an office in the same place in the same city for the rest of my life. Like get me out of here. And I was like really debating with my co-founders what to do. Um, I eventually decided to leave the company and the CBD brand, the direct consumer brand that I started at that point called Noyo, um, I, I took it with me and I was like, and there I was, I was by myself thinking Jeez, that again, exactly. Again, I was like by myself, solo founder thinking I was like, did the right decision of like leaving this company and like the support I had there and the co-founders that were with me and my team there being all by myself with this brand. And I was like, okay, where do I go from here? 
I was like, I had no idea. I was this creative. I loved the I loved the product. I was so passionate about the CBD oil. I designed it. I did like the packaging, everything. But then like, how do I get it to the people out there? Like, how do I distribute it now? How does e-commerce work? <laughs> and I was just sitting, it was just me and the product. And I was like, okay, damn it. You and me, buddy. <laughs> you and me, buddy. Let's do it. Exactly. And I was like, oh gosh, like, Damn. And, and I so I have a question. If we, if we double tap into this moment where you are, okay, for the second time, you've kind of cut ties with the security, the safety out of, well, one, what I think is really interesting is in part of your story, there's a sense of that decision a little bit being made for you. I don't know if you've ever heard, it sounds so cheesy, but the phrase, sometimes your rejection is your protection. And I hear that a little bit in your story of modeling, like this sense of people coming back to you and saying, no, you're still not good enough. It seems like that kind of rejection of your, you know, you aren't good. You can't, we can't book you, um, caused a sense of that was like an awakening moment for you of somebody yeah. else, an external force person, company, boss, whatever it is saying no, kind of enlightened you or, or I guess rather awakened you to the sense of possibility that eventually led you to cutting ties with being a model and with your agency and with the source of like security. And so here you are again, you've cut ties out of, it sounds like a deep sense of knowing of just like, this isn't who I was created to be. This doesn't align with the life that feels most fulfilling to me, even though I'm ideologically really passionate about the thing and the product, Mm -hmm. this life and what it would require of me isn't it's not working. There was not in an, an alignment. And so you cut ties. So I'm curious in the moment where it is truly just, you know, you and a bottle of CBD oil sitting at a computer trying to figure out like e-commerce, will you tell us what were some of the like negative stories that you were telling yourself about you, about your potential, about your future? Like, can you go back to that moment before, you know, the next chapter unfolds and kind of remember with us what that season felt like from like, what were you telling yourself? So I think it, that was also really, really tough time because I founded the brand while I was still in the company, right? And taking it out there, I paid a fortune, to be honest. I paid mm. 100K to my co-founders to, to take it with me because I was so like... Um, it was like my baby at that point. That was like, okay, now I found this brand. I put so much love into it. I'm not going to leave it behind. Like I'm taking it with me. But now looking back, I'm like, oh, I spent a fortune on it for literally like, it wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth it. It was like, yes, it had a beautiful brand, but that's it. We had no customer base. We hadn't made any money yet. It was literally nothing. And so I borrowed money actually from my dad to take wow. the, like to buy the hundred K I put some of the money that I earned during modeling as well to buy it out. And then I was sitting there by myself and I was like, why the hell did I just do that? Wow. And I remember, yeah. I remember like I was so stubborn again because I knew like, Oh, I'm going to take it with me and I'm going to build something great out of it and show them that I don't have to sit in an office for so many hours to be successful. And I was like, I'm going to put that in. I'm going to borrow their money. I'm going to buy them out. This is the right thing to do. 
And then I was sitting there and I was like, I'm just a loser. Like, literally. And I was like, now I have this brand, but I don't know what to do with it. Wow. And that was like yeah. the second time where I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have quit modeling. Maybe I should just go back. It was like, yeah. my, I, I had a safe income. I was able to travel the world. Yes, I felt shitty, but at least I got to travel and I got to be free yeah. and I got to kind of do what I wanted to do. And so then I was sitting there and I was like, oh, I don't know. Like I was literally so frustrated and I felt like all the decisions I had taken, even though they felt right in that moment, were all wrong looking back. Mm. And so I was really struggling with myself. And I think also we always believe that we have to be good at everything. Mm. And I always thought like, oh my God, if I'm not good at like marketing and finance and branding and storytelling all at once, something's wrong with me. Yeah, And then totally. I started to take all these like master classes and like how to do this, how to do that, how to take care of it, like trying to learn, but it just didn't stick. And I was like, what's yeah. wrong with me? Like, why am I not learning? And why am I not able to like do this by myself? Yeah. And then I just had to realize that, you know what, we're not, we cannot be perfect and we're not good at everything. And yes, we can learn so much along the way, but trying to figure it all out all by myself, it's just, it won't get me anywhere. And I don't know if you struggle with this, but this is a huge struggle of mine that the things that come naturally to me that are pretty easy for me. I tend to really devalue because I'm like, oh, it's yeah, not exactly. a skill. Like exactly. that's just 100%. like, that's not a thing. That's not that valuable. Anybody could really do that. And so because it comes easy to me, then I associate it in my brain as like a low value, low skill, like the real, like this is what real talent looks like. This is what, exactly. because that would be so hard for me because how I'm wired, then I associate it as like, higher value. So it's like, I'm saying, no, 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 that thing, which happens to be the things that I am definitively not good at. And just yeah. like my brain doesn't work that way. I associate with like, no, that's intellect. That's being smart. That's being successful. And so it's like this, this double-edged thing that you're trying to do everything. And yet the things that you actually are good at, you're not assigning value to because they come easily to you. I, that is a huge struggle of mine. 100%. And that's literally like something that is like still coming up today. Every time yeah. I'm like, oh, I, why am I, why can I figure it out? Like what's wrong yeah. with me? And I get so mad with myself. <laughs> and then it's just like, and my fiance always tells me, and he's like, Bella, chill, but you're so good at A, B, and C. Like value that and value that yeah. you're good at this and don't try to be good at everything else. And I'm like, but being good at this is not like, being good like that's just what happened it's like not a talent that's just like oh my god like it's really even today he um I always like I really struggle sometimes with like um putting like structuring real like excel um excel lists and doing the like, really cool presentations and all of that and it makes me so bad that I'm like oh my god come on like I'm not a loser I can do this <laughs> and, and and then he's always like but Bella, you have other strengths. Like, I, like a lot of people always tell me that um, we're, 
I'm a really good connector and I'm, I'm a, like a super social person. I love going out and it comes really natural. So for me, like going out, uh, pitching our, our story of the healing company, meeting new people, doing my podcast, The Healing Hour, like connecting with people, getting them engaged is something that feels really natural and I love doing it, but I don't see it as a talent of mine. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Mm-hmm. I just think like that's, totally. that's normal. And everyone I do want I do I want to just pause here because I love that we're both, you know, to some degree on the other side of certain parts of our story, definitely a lot left to to unfold. And I love that both of us are like, yeah, no, haven't arrived there yet. Like still <laughs> on a lot of days. And that is something that I have to that level of just self-criticism and how quickly I can go from you don't have this skill or you're not naturally good at that to like, why are you such an idiot? And feeling yeah. like other people do have it all figured out or things yeah. across the spectrum come really naturally to them when it's like, I know intellectually that's not true, but it yeah. is like a thing in my body that just continues to emerge. And I don't know, I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm like, I think I've released the belief that there is an arrival point externally where I won't struggle with that anymore. Like, I think that I've come across enough thresholds where I thought maybe when I got to this point, I would believe that I was good enough or that I was smart enough or whatever it was. And then been like, oh, nope, I still figured out a way when I was in that place to diminish it. Oh, nope, still figured out how to criticize myself in that place. That I at least feel like the place that I'm in now my understanding is like, that's an inside job that actually has nothing to do with where you're at externally, with what level of success or affirmation, like that is an inside job that you need to do in your soul and your spirit and your work and your mind. I do have hope that I'll continue to progress. Um, but I guess I just really want to encourage anybody who's in that place that maybe, maybe Annabelle and I can just help gently nudge you to what you don't need is the next level of success or of affirmation. That's not going to solve your problem. What you actually need to do is the internal hard work of decoupling your identity from your, from what other people say or the stamps of approval that you're getting um, and to, to deeply believe in just your inherent worthiness and uniqueness um, and belovedness but that's the only path. And not that I've even arrived on that path, but I feel like I've at least a little bit given up the But you know what? Hope. Awareness, exactly. And awareness is like already the first step into the right direction. I think mm. that we're both sitting here and we're aware of this fact and that we are feeling the way we're feeling, but that we're aware that this is something that only we can do for ourselves and taking the time and going really inwards and doing the work inside that is, I think, already the first step into the right direction. And yes, it will take a while and it's nothing that happens overnight. And I think it's something that requires a lot of work. But if you get to that point, this like point of wholeness, I mm. think that's really where healing starts or ends, I would say. That's where healing ends. And that's something I- that we should really, like that I would love to encourage everyone because I know like, I meet so many people along the way that always question themselves and it's, it's, it requires so much work to be really happy with who you are and not question yourself all the time. 
I think for me, and I don't think this has to come through parenthood or motherhood by any means, but specifically when we talk about kind of the self-criticism of going from, I don't know how to do that to you're an idiot and you're not smart. For me, having kids has changed. It really has changed and helped me in that battle because I've started asking myself this question of like, would you ever speak to your child like you speak to yourself? And that's kind of one of my, like when I have that moment and going like with my kids, I see it so clearly. They just each Mm -hmm. have these really unique gifts in the world. But frankly, they also have things that they're not great at, you know, (laughs) that it's just like, you're really good at this and you're particularly not good at that. And when I look at my kids in the holisticness of that, it feels so good and right and worth celebrating. And like, of course, you're not going to be good at all of those things. And when they're learning a skill or they're trying and they're failing, like my actual true embodied belief is that even when they're failing, it has nothing to do with who they are and their belovedness and their worthiness. And it's all just about like, just try and have fun and explore and grow. And so it's been a real, there was a real cognitive dissonance moment for me of going like, if you actually deeply believe that for your children, just because they're human and just because, you know, in my worldview, they were created in the image of God and the divine and the beloved and that it's nothing about what they're doing that they, you know, like have earned that, that how come I can't internalize that for myself? And so that moment of mm-hmm. like, if you actually believe that for your kid, you kind of actually have to believe that for yourself. For yourself, and, exactly. And that's been a really helpful, just like, I still do it. I'll still jump to that kind of self-criticism, but having that like, oh, would you ever say that to William Bohannon? Would you ever <laughs> look at Theo Bohannon and believe that? And then all of a sudden it, it, it creates this moment of like, yeah. that's not truth. That's not truth. Yeah, yeah. totally. And I think that's such a beautiful example that you just gave because that it makes so much sense. You know, you can't even question that for a single second. It's like if you're able totally. to look at your children and be like, oh, you're good at this. I'm going to support you all the way through to get really good at what you want to be. And where it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like it doesn't matter. You don't have to be good at everything. Why can you not be like this to yourself? But a lot of times we we always feel like we just have to be like, the perfect solution to have the solution for everything. It's just, it's just wrong. And I think that's something we, we really have to learn is like, it's okay to fail. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to not have success in every area. So not always have the solution to not always have the answer. It's okay. Like you don't have to, uh, and no one expects you to, it's just yourself. Like that expects, has these expectations. <laughs> no one else really does. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I really love that example. And that you're not alone. I hope that anybody listening to this just feels a deep sense of reminder, especially if you're in a season like Annabelle so generously shared with us, a season of just feeling rejected, of not enough, of feeling, um, yeah, like you took a leap and you're in a moment where you're going, what the heck did I just do? Like, I'm a loser. I don't know. I don't know what's next. Um, yeah, I just, I hope by listening to this, you have the realization or at least a, a nudge towards the realization um, that you're in good company, that every one of us who is taking risks and who is trying to grow and evolve um, has experienced these moments in our journeys 
that doesn't mean that you're broken. That doesn't mean that good things aren't coming. That means that you're in the midst of becoming, which is sometimes painful and scary, but that you're not alone. Yeah, totally. I think that is such a such a beautiful, um, I think, realization um, and something that I, I had to learn as well. And it's like really everyone, even the most successful people out there are the ones where it seems that their lives is just absolutely perfect. It's not. Every one of us goes through the same issues. Every one of us is suffering somewhere, somehow, at some point in their lives. Mm. Everyone has somehow the same fears um, and is fighting with themselves about like like perfectionism or where they, where they wish they would be. Um, and I think that's, yeah, like you said, you're not alone. No one is. We're all, we're I all love that. in this together. And I love hearing that from you specifically, Annabelle, because listen, I don't, I don't follow you on social media yet. I'm going to after this <laughs> show, but I imagine like, I'm thinking back to the time in your life where you're modeling and you're in Australia and you're this gorgeous, thin blonde and you're getting all of these, you know, like I imagine that there was a season where how you were showing up publicly, there was a really, really big Delta between that and then what you were actually going through in your day-to-day life. And I know it sounds so basic and we're like, okay, we know what we see online isn't real, but it's still such a, there's such a a lack of consciousness in each of us, myself included, um, of just like, we never really know. We never know the whole story. And um, I think you probably, you know, just because of your, your chosen career and all of the things I feel like could be a really good an extreme example of that, of like, clearly she's got it all going wrong or go, all going right. Like yeah. nothing could be wrong. Um, and then even, the reality in those moments, there's usually behind the scenes. Yeah. A lot even, more complexity. You just, even you just said like, yeah, we have realized that obviously everything on social media is not always true. Um, but even I can give one example, like my, my best friend from school, He once said to me, um, when I was like, I was traveling, I was working a lot. I came back to Berlin and, um, we were, we were having lunch and he's like, your life is so cool. Like Mm -hmm. you just have to look good and you can do anything. And it really struck me that even my best friend Uh, was thinking that it was so easy. And that's what it seemed to so many people. It seemed like. Oh, I'm living this like high life. I get to see the world. I get to travel. I earn a lot of money. I get these great jobs. Um, and the only thing I have to do is look beautiful. And I was like, wow, really? And I looked at him and I'm like, I can tell you one thing. Like looking beautiful is the hardest thing because everything you're doing every single day, people only look at my, like the way I'm on my looks. And no one, not a single person in this job mm. cares about my heart, like who I am, wow. what yeah. I'm going through, how my life is, how I wake up in the mornings. No one ever asks me that. It's only about mm. like, is my hair nice? Do I have a pimple in my face? Am I in shape? And I'm like, you know how hard that is? Like that my whole life is just focused on my looks and everyone mm. I, I see and work with every day. They only care about my looks and not about who is Bella, who's Annabelle, who is yeah. she? Um, and, and I said that to him and he was like, oh, I never really thought about that. Mm. And ever since then, he approached me in such a different way 
And yeah. because he started to realize that what he thought looked so easy and so like cool and fun and high life and all of this, actually it was really hard for me personally. Yeah. And so that's, that's just one example of what you just said. Mm, I love that. And I love that in that moment you could have gone, yeah, like this is it. I've got it. And I have this amazing life and you could have continued. Yeah to kind of hide in that story. But I love that you really courageously chose transparency and authenticity and to bring somebody into the story and to say, actually, it's not easy. And there are times where I'm not okay. And that's that's how we start to come into the light, like is when we let other people into that. And even just the impact that that hit, had on you, like you went first by saying, yeah. actually, the story that you have isn't real, which is a scary thing to admit that's super vulnerable. But what you actually did in that moment was you invited another real life human who loved you as a whole person to care for you in a way that you needed caring for. And but yeah. but you had to admit first, you're right. Um, like or not, you're right. Sorry, Kasha, will you cut that out? You had to you had to admit <laughs> first, you know, that that story he had wasn't right, um, and that there was something more going on. And so I love that in that moment you chose transparency and authenticity, and that that created that that sense of connection um, and care that you really needed at that time. Yeah, yeah. Vulnerability is definitely a word that has been like really engraved in, in, in inside of me. That was so important to me when I stopped modeling. I literally I was always wearing like a bracelet that had written on it vulnerability. Because I just wanted to see it every single morning and wake up and be like, yeah, that's really something I have to learn is being being more vulnerable and not being afraid of being vulnerable um, and being judged. Because I was like, I was living this like life that I, in like in public, I always seemed like everything was perfect. And then I, every, like every sorrow that I had, every pain or fear, or anything that I was going through, I always kept inside of me, always. And so learning to speak it out and to be open about it. And it's actually so beautiful when you get to that point where you become more vulnerable. The amount of like love and respect mm. and all of that you receive is really empowering actually. So mm -hmm. I can only, like everyone out there, really don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Share your thoughts, mm. share your feelings. Um, it's so important. Mm, I love it. Annabelle, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing so generously, not just of seasons in the past and kind of your historical seasons of, you know, just challenges, but also even the things that you're still working through and um, bringing us into that process of your own becoming. We're super grateful. We're grateful for the risks that you've taken and that you continue to lean in and do that hard and important internal work so that you can go out and create beautiful things in the world. Thank you, Liz. I really appreciate it. And I thought it was, it was like the first time I'm actually so vulnerably sharing all this story. So, I, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'm very grateful that you challenged me in that way again. Um, and then I was able to put it out there. Oh, that is an absolute true, um, honor and, and a real act of generosity. Thank you for not just, you know, telling us about vulnerability, but in the act of doing that, of pushing yourself to the next level of, um, 
of opening yourself up and of telling those true stories and of living that out, even just on the show. Um, I really, that does not escape me. What a gift that is. So thank you for sharing that with me and with our community here at Plucking Up. Thank you so much, Liz. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Plucking Up podcast. For updates and announcements about the show, you can visit lizbohannon.co or you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at lizbohannon and I love hearing from my pluckies. So you know the drill. Until next week, stay plucky.